0: Mike. Hey, Colin. Welcome back.
1: Back from back where?
0: From Vegas. We were in Vegas last week, remember? Ah, uh, that's why nice. we're both sick.
1: Yeah, bangly. Uh, it was good though. I put off I, I, everything. I put off has now come home to roost. With my head cold, and then next week uh, jury duty.
0: Oh yeah, how exciting!
1: I asked both of them to contact me after NAB, and they both did.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, it could be worse. Um, So we went to NAB, and now we're back, and we're going to mostly talk this episode about things we saw and or didn't see at NAB. So what did you see at NAB? Um, Let's see, what was new?
1: The big—I mean, I guess so. The big
0: surprise the first day was the camera from Blackmagic. Yeah. Um, so for those who don't know, Blackmagic, the company that up until now made interface boards and other things, um, made a camera, and it's really cheap and apparently pretty decent. Um, it's two point five k, gonna street for under three thousand um, dollars. EF mount. Big touchscreen on the back, records to SSDs in either ProRes or DNxHD or Cinema Raw. And it's, uh, yeah, yeah, people were super excited. No one expected this, I don't think. Uh, certainly the Digibolex people didn't expect this, and the Red people didn't seem to expect this. Um, but it, it got people pretty excited um, because it's bringing sort of uh, um, video production feature set to dslr prices yeah it was cheap or it will be cheap it will be cheap and um but it's very much designed for video you know it's got sort of video style connectors and input output um and shooting style it's not a still camera that happens to shoot video which is the differentiator so right um you know people were yeah pretty psyched Uh, um what do you think i mean I think we were both pretty surprised by this.
1: Yeah, I was definitely surprised. Um, the first thing I want to call out the entire Twitter sphere for is that, you know, people immediately said, like, I people have this functional block when it comes to product announcements, especially cameras. I don't know why. But I don't know how many people I saw on Twitter say, make jokes about how black magic ships and red announces stuff because black magic announced something right (laughs) like it hasn't shipped yet i mean yes they've had a good track record in the past of shipping things that weren't cameras but i would argue that this might be harder for them to get right well
0: i i I would disagree a bit because they have put a pretty firm date on shipping and what they had at the show were functional like fully finished versions like the enclosure was done and the electronics all fit inside the enclosure and it powered on, which is not the case with Red's first year. No, that's true. I
1: mean, they yeah, they're, do- they're obviously further along with industrial design and engineering and things have
0: passed QC and they work and that's great. I mean, they were letting but, people touch their cameras, which, what, four or five years on, Red still won't let people touch their cameras at the booth. Right. Yeah, still. Shipping is something different than announcing. Yeah, I agree. I wish we could get that figured out someday. Yeah. But uh, I don't know, man. This this I mean, this wasn't the only thing Black Magic did at the show, and it comes on a pretty massive IBC for them and a pretty massive NAB twenty eleven for them. And so, you know, Black Magic has really just become the eight hundred pound gorilla in the industry. They've and, and very much modeled themselves after Apple in in many ways from industrial design on up. Um, right, they really are feeling like the company that sucks all the oxygen out of a market.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. So I mean, some other interesting things they did with the camera is it's going to ship with a copy of Resolve Nine and a copy of their competitor to ScopeBox, UltraScope, and uh, it comes with a Thunderbolt port on it. Yeah, actually, a lot of their products they announced this show. Are going to have thunderbolt ports on them, which I find really interesting.
0: Yeah, I mean, it shows that you know one they've got the expertise and the costs to the point that it becomes as as you know trivial as putting a USB jack <laughs> or something on on one of their boxes because they the new Next boxes have it, the Ultra Hub or Universal Hub has it, um, the HyperDeck Studio, the four K HyperDeck Studio has it. Um, which is I mean it's cool you know as, as I think we were talking offline you know wouldn't it be nice if Thunderbolt sort of became the standard digital transport for this kind of thing yeah it'll be interesting to see I mean
1: I'm not really sure if anyone has figured out what Thunderbolt's going to be and they're adding lots of ports to everything but they're adding ports to things that you wouldn't Usually, plug into a computer, right? And so, I guess what they're trying to do is sort of cannibalize some of their capture card market. So it's just you don't need an outboard capture device in order to preview something on your. Um. Well, I mean, so I guess the, I mean it could go two ways. Like everything they they were talking about publicly was that UltraScope. It was basically, it's a port to connect Ultrascope to things um, so that you can scope your Teranex and you can scope your signals going through your hub and you can scope your camera. Um, they've, they told us at the show that it's going to, you know, look like a standard capture card, which if that's true, then you can start doing things like, you know, scoping in Scopebox or capturing you know, in either in ScopeBox or any other third-party app. Um, But I guess I'm just, I'm curious to see if we start, if everything has a capture port on it, then, I don't know, I'm curious to see what happens. Right now we have a, you know, we build out facilities in a way where everything goes HDSDI throughout the facility until you hit the computer and the computer's what does the capture if you get to a point where everything from the first point of contact with a video signal like the camera through all your switchers to your computers all of that has a capture port i don't know do you just ignore them all or do you do you end up you know basically not routing signal anymore and just routing I mean, do we have to get, do we have to make a matrix router for thunderbolt now mhm i don't know
0: well, and I think it's worth noting for listeners who may not be as familiar with the way Thunderbolt works that, um, you know, unlike FireWire, when, you know, back in the day, uh, all cameras had FireWire on them, they were all speaking the same language. They were all outputting DV streams um, with Thunderbolt you're connecting devices so you're connecting a black magic device or an aja device that each speaks its own language and it, yes. know, uses its own drivers so it's not like you can have a sort of point to point you know have your your black magic cinema camera you know talk to something else on your thunderbolt chain if if they don't sort of know about each other in advance and, and have drivers and things like that so uh, it, like, it is you know even though Having all these thunderbolt ports on these black magic devices feels a little like back in the day when everything had a firewire port. it's not quite the same. I mean obviously, there were firewire devices that needed a special driver on your computer but um, Sorry, but firewire video devices right the firewire cable was a video cable and it
1: the, was a point to point. Video connection the same way that a BNC is right. you could think of it the same way you could run video out of one device into another you didn't need to have a host computer in the center but that's not true with Thunderbolt
0: right it's not it's not true at the low level of the transport where they do have host and slave chips although they do have chips that connect as both as well um, and it's not true at the actual sort of protocol level. Um, Now, wouldn't it be great if someone proposed a standard for uncompressed video transport over Thunderbolt that all the big guys adopted um, so that at least there would be some standards in terms of, I mean, because fundamentally what an AJA IOXT and a Blackmagic Ultra Studio Express are moving down Thunderbolt (coughs) is very similar. They're sort of raw uncompressed video frames. Um, Right. The problem, I think, is you're not,
1: I don't think that's even, I don't even think you can think of it that way. Because
0: the the format for
1: Thunderbolt is essentially PCI. I mean, for these sort of devices, it's PCI.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. And so there is no transport you can think of.
0: Right.
1: I mean, the way you capture video from a capture card at the lowest level is you get a pointer to the memory on the card and you memcopy it off. Mm -hmm. Like there's no send and receive. There's no protocol. There's no handshaking. It's... I'm copying data off of the card. You know,
0: the card just shows up as part of the register space. Right. So you'd have to essentially have a standardized driver that all cards...
1: Yeah, and then you would have to choose, like, you, there's... So there's no possible way to do a broadcast. Like, you can... Yeah. Fireware, you could run multiple devices. And, you know, whoever was playing, everyone else would see because they broadcasted on a channel. Um, there's... You know, everything's initiated from the host with PCI. So somebody has to capture the stuff off. So there always is going to be one endpoint. There's no way around that. I don't know. I don't see... I mean, I just don't
0: think the technology is designed for something like that. Yeah. Well, yeah. what do you think more broadly about Blackmagic's place in the industry? Is it becoming the, the point where people just don't even try to compete on, you know, price or in, you know, in... like is it like apple that you know you you would be stupid to get into the mp3 player market now for example is you know would it is it ludicrous for other people to think about getting into the capture card business market and should people like aja or motu be thinking about getting out do you think i mean i don't think so i mean aja is still incredibly successful i mean they are but i mean it's hard to you know think back three or four years they were really at parity with black magic in in sort of um mindset, I think you know or even at the show uh similar size booths and similar sort of you know they were both doing very similar things, et cetera and that that balance is just completely gone i mean you know black magic has just gone completely vertical, and a j has not
1: right, but i mean that only affects you if you want to buy into their entire stack i mean. And like, obviously, so Scratch came out, and they support AJ only. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I think most everybody who has a product that's competitive to Resolve is going to probably be slow to support Blackmagic.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, You know, in the same way... um, you know, I don't. I don't. This. I don't think Scratch supports Black Magic cards. Do they? I don't know. Um, you know, I mean, like, there's Black Magic makes a ton of products, but they, there's not that much overlap. Even you know, someone who's in the market for a capture card doesn't care whether or not you make a switcher or a camera. Sure. Um, and at least for the foreseeable future, everything. You know, the one thing or industry got right finally with standards was the you know the BNC connector that is HD I yeah <laughs> at least that you can run from one thing to another and you know short of PSF and progressive and <laughs> random frame rates usually there's a menu in each each end of that you know of that dumb pipe that you can set so that the two devices can talk to each other and so i'm not sure it really matters i mean P- lots of people still really like aja i mean do you get the you know you get the feeling when you buy a black magic device that they're kind of skipping on all the ancillary stuff i mean you you know people still talk about how much better the pigtails and the breakout boxes and stuff are mm-hmm. when you buy aja and you know it's just a different it's a different mindset they're uh, I think they're going for a different end of the market. Um, you know, obviously Blackmagic's eroding that sum with all their, you know, Teronex and all their really high-end stuff. But I don't know, I mean.
0: It it just, you know, my my reaction to the, even the lead up to um, the Blackmagic press releases this year was very similar to a few years ago when Apple would throw a big event before NAB every year. And, and what we were doing was saying, oh gosh, I hope they're not, entering the market that competes with us you know obviously black already in a market that competes with us but you know for for other vendors um you know it, it definitely feels like they're a pretty big threat if they decide to get into your space
1: yeah i mean but they've never i mean that's the thing like as someone who you know is in direct conflict with them like they've never been really good at sealing the deal mm-hmm. like they ship stuff it's cheap but they're not really I mean and and I don't think I think it's getting worse, not better. Like they they've got so many products, you know, in the pipeline now. Like, you know, you're just not gonna rev every single one every year.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If you if you're a one a one trick pony, I mean if you just make scopes, you know, we're obviously gonna be able to focus on things better than they can. Sure. Um and I think, you know, I think AJA has an has a chance to do the same sort of thing.
0: Well, I mean one one exciting area I think for the industry is that although um, you know, HD is pretty passé these days, th- there's still a lot of um, you know, standards to be developed and sort of expertise to be developed in in 4K and higher resolutions and so I think there is still opportunity for other people to do things right in those spaces. Like I don't think necessarily and we're seeing this. I don't think you know quad HD SDI is necessarily the transport for 4K. Um, All right. And so there's there is still opportunity there for people to make a mark. Yeah. And so maybe I, it, mean, you know, I mean maybe maybe it's just that things like you know 3G HD SDI and lower are essentially the FireWire you know DV FireWire of 2012, and so there's just not a point in sort of innovating and competing in that space. Right. I mean,
1: as things go. As things get more and more commodified, I mean, I, yeah, if you're in a if you're in a market that's gotten to the point of commoditization, then you know you're going to lose to black magic. Yeah. Anywhere where there's still innovation, you can either stay ahead of them or diverge from them. But yeah, you're never going to beat them on you know economies of
0: scale. Right. So what else did you see at the show? You liked other cameras. Uh, um, who else had a good camera? I mean, there was you know, you know Canon the 700 or whatever it was the, yeah, the 700 which we talked about in the last show the canon c500 which is their 4k version of the c300 um which is a little weird because they just announced the c300 it feels like but uh right and the 4k version isn't you know, really 4k and, right um, it's the same sensor sure. as the 300 it's a different firmware and um but hey it's you know pretty cheap so yeah. um Let's see, Red announced some updates for some future date. Um, They were showing off their new projector. I didn't go look at that. Yeah, I didn't either. People said it looked really nice. Yeah, some issues, but they say they're going to fix them before it ships. Yeah. Uh,
1: Yeah, I mean, that was one of the things. This year, people seem to be kind of getting fed up with, with Red. That felt fresher than in the past
0: yeah well i think it is things like the cinema camera the c500 and you know sony's sort of reemergence in indie filmmaking that are making people say you know we don't need to put up with the uh, holier than now sort of cultish nature of the way red wants to portray itself and you definitely felt that at their booth that they're trying to sort of hold on to the young kid indie um <coughs> you know aren't we the coolest vibe that they had when they first launched and i don't think people were buying into it yeah i mean they still get used oh yeah, we'll yeah. see where that goes in the future absolutely but it, you know they're not the only kid on the block anymore in their space and in a lot of regards aren't the premier kid on the block and i don't That's think they've acknowledged that and have pivoted the company to exist in that new reality Just in terms of the attitude, I mean, not saying their products need to change, but just their attitude needs to be a little different, I think. Yeah, it's hard to claim that you're like an insurgency
1: when all the suits are actually on par with you now
0: or ahead of you. Yeah, Um, you know, Panasonic was showing off some neat stuff um, and JVC as well, but, you know, very sort of nichey. So like JVC had a new camera targeted at ENG gathering with like wireless transmission built in and some other neat things um and they have a small 4k camera as well um yeah i mean all the big guys had new gear um but you know the black magic camera was definitely the one everyone was talking about i think you know the reality of course is that there are so many good cameras out there right now that you know it's it's a great time to be buying a camera if you need a camera and yeah, well it's a great time to be renting a camera well, i have yeah. a feeling it's not a good time to be buying i suppose but there's 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 a good camera for every budget i guess is the point yes yes that is true uh,
1: what else was
0: well the other big area i think was in, in on the software side in the nle space so we had yeah. premiere pro cs6 um avid wasn't really showing anything new but they were sort of demoing they were showing what they shipped a couple months ago right yeah, it's exactly. the same as us. mc6 symphony six it said and then smoke yeah smack um you wanna talk about any of those things
1: i mean i do i guess it's you know it's it's been interesting how Apple seemed to like core out a giant section
0: of the uh, market, and then. Did you really just say Apple cored something out? Yeah, you know they took a, you know they okay. made this Apple giant. Cord. I got, yeah, I Apple got,
1: it. Yeah. Um,
0: it was a pun, you see. Yeah, I know. Because apples I, have cores. I don't get it. Can you explain? <laughs> I'll draw a diagram. Go on
1: um anyways so yeah apple like you know has kind of reinvigorated i mean they basically they knocked everybody down to second class citizens recently and then just sort of imploded you know as far as the market's concerned and so there's now like this scramble for primacy again which you know is nice it makes people spend a lot of time and money and budgets and marketing and everything trying to you know it's one thing to try to attack the guy on top it's another thing to try to you know you know it feels like a new market right there's actually got a whole new yeah everyone has sort of equal opportunity to quick steal all those users who are sitting around trying to figure out what they're going to do next
0: yeah and, I mean, it was just a year ago that Final Cut X was even announced. Um, and so it was interesting at the show this year. Um, you know, some people are talking about cutting on Final Cut X, and obviously there are people who are very happy with it. And then there are a lot of people who are fishing around for what they're going to do as they need to replace their Final Cut 7 seats. Um, obviously, Adobe is really, really pushing Premiere into the market of, final cut 8 essentially you know they really are positioning that product to be the drop-in replacement down to the point of really changing some of their core functionality to be more like final cut to attract those those editors um and it looks like a very impressive product cs6 um in terms of functionality it, it sort of cleans up a lot of the things that have always frustrated me about premiere pro
1: yeah
0: um and in conjunction with that i I, i'll throw a link in they it was a little weird because they were showing cs6 at the show but hadn't officially announced creative suite six and then they did that this week um and i don't know it's adobe that it's very confusing but i mean they had announced it the week before part, part of that is that they formalized the licensing um and obviously you you can go out and buy CS6 in a dozen different variants, but um, I wanted to touch briefly on the cloud licensing, which is a subscription model where you essentially pay Adobe fifty dollars a month and get access to all of the Creative Suite products, which um, is you know pretty much everything they make except Lightroom, I think. So, um, right, all all their products yeah. plus ancillary apps like SpeedGrade and whatnot, and you just keep paying that, and you always have the newest version. Um, what do you think about this? I think it's brilliant. I mean yeah I, I I was a little skeptical at first but it's actually a pretty good deal.
1: I mean so one it's a, it's you know it's fairly affordable it's it's great for companies because you don't have to think about you know you don't have to plan yeah for upgrades anymore it you know companies always love recurring costs because they can budget for them. Um it's actually kind of nice for freelancers because you can So you can either do the annual thing. So it's 50 bucks a month if you like buy in for a whole year. Um, It's 80 bucks a month if you just buy it for a month. But it's great if you like, because you you can just do it every, you can do 80 bucks a month. If you're, you know, if you spend, if you're one of those freelance people who does some work out of the house and some work out of other people's offices, you can just buy it for months you're working at home and just bill it to the client as a cost. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, it works out. I don't know. seems like a really great idea.
0: So as a um, as a small business owner, do you think you're more inclined to do this for, you know, because we've got various Adobe licenses, are you more inclined to do this uh, going forward, do you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, it would be not... I mean, the only thing that might cause an issue for us is we tend to like to have other versions in your own, so they, you know, it'll be interesting to see how they run the installer licensing and all that junk. Sure, sure. I mean, because we'll, you know, we'll obviously want to be able to test on CS5, 5.5, and 6 for the foreseeable future for ClipRab. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, if they have a way to allow that, then, yeah, I mean, this seems like a really... And, and cost-wise. You know, and I mean, we could even just do it like, you know, and we don't necessarily need to have the license all the time. We could just do it, you know, for the two months ahead of every major release. Mm-hmm. I mean, it seems, it's like everything you want. It's flexible and it's relatively, I mean, it's expensive enough that you're not just like, "Eh, whatever, it's like cable, but it's, you know, so they can actually make some money off this, but it's cheap enough that like, if you actually aren't, you know, a 12-year-old sitting in your basement, you know, if you're one of those 12-year-olds who isn't billing
0: clients yet, (laughs) you know, you... You know there's no reason not to pay that well, and cost wise i sort of looked at the math because um, adobe's been pretty clear that they're going to be for <laughs> the foreseeable future doing a sort of tiktok style update where um every other year you get a major release of cs and in the um inter- intermediary years you get a 0.5 release like they've done with cs5 5.5 and 6. and so if you sort of assume that they're going to relatively hold to a schedule like that um the pricing on this really makes a lot of sense if you are using and you know a good chunk of the suite. So if you use Photoshop and Premiere and maybe After Effects or Acrobat or maybe one other app that you right. you know would end up buying one of the production bundles or, or design bundles, um, you know the cost on this really ends up being about the same as buying this. The, the suite and then upgrading every year. Um, and right. I mean, because what what's one app is five hundred bucks, right? Roughly. I, I don't even know what the individual app prices are, but the bundles start around fourteen hundred dollars, I think. Right. And then the yeah. upgrades are you know a few hundred each year. Right. Um, and this is this ends up being you know six hundred bucks a year, which is you know again you know if you, if you had to shell out six hundred dollars in March of every year, that might be a lot, but if you can space it mm-hmm. out month to month, um. yeah, it becomes a pretty reasonable fee. Yeah. You know, it's what we used to pay for server hosting and things like that. Right. And, you know, it's
1: great, and it's great for Adobe, too, because if you can have, if you can, you know, think about what you're going to do for the next version and, like, look at a spreadsheet and go, well, we have, you know, $2 million a month in guaranteed income. Like, it's, you know, that's great. Like, just start working on it.
0: When I also imagine as part of the cloud licensing, I don't know how they're handling that exactly, but obviously they've got a mechanism that will deactivate your copy if you stop paying. I imagine they're going to get a lot more metrics on usage out of this as well, and that may help them tailor the apps as well. Um, they may find out that you know no one uses certain apps from their bundles that maybe they thought people were or, or whatever. You know, It's going to let them know more about what you're doing.
1: Yeah, okay. And now, I mean... Yes, I am loopy on uh, cold medicine and stuff, but I don't want to lose an opportunity to point out how dumb Adobe is. Um, so this just makes their whole editor in Photoshop <laughs> more asinine. If everyone is going to own every one of their apps, why do they keep fucking shoehorning bullshit features into you know, their, the, the other apps in the suite? Like, it's a suite. Sell it as a suite. You did that. Great. You got a pricing model. Now stop cannibalizing each other's sales because you don't sell them anymore. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah. But everything else is great. Yes. Agreed. Except for you can't figure out how to plan bullet points for uh, features. But
0: other than that, great. (laughs) Uh, How about Smoke? I mean, Smoke was another thing that I think people were surprised at how interested they were in Smoke. Um, Smoke had been a $13,000 product is now a $3,500 product and has much broader hardware support than it used to, um, at least on the Mac side, and has a non-linear editor.
1: Yeah. I mean, so I think what's going to happen is no one's going to capture all of Final Cut's users. Right. And so at this point, you know, everyone's trying to go for their core competencies and suck up users. And I mean, I think what Smoke did was really smart, which is you know, no one's going to buy a copy of, you know, everyone who's got Flame and all the other discrete things. Um, they're, you know, they're, so I would guess what, 90% of those installed copies are in advertising? I don't know. I mean, I, like a few, because I mean, most people, like wedding videographers are not finishing in Flame. Right. And which is, you know, the majority of the market. Um, corporate industrials are not finishing out of flame. So that leaves feature films and ads. And there are just not enough feature films being done to, to make any dent in that market. So, you know, so 10% of people using smoke and flame and incendiary and road flare are, um, 10% 10% are feature films and the other 90% are advertising firms. That, that's my guess. I mean, I, you know, if you have sales data and want to send it to me, great. But if <laughs> not, I'm going to claim that as fact. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, lots and lots of ad firms were cutting in Final Cut and finishing on Autodesk. And so this seems like a great way to steal all those people. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if you can get the cost down so that it can go in every one of your rooms because most of those ad firms have, you know, 10 rooms, you know, half a dozen to a dozen rooms doing editorial and one or two finishing rooms or, you know, or a couple finishing rooms and one or two, like, effects rooms, which are, you know, you bill out at a higher rate. Um, And so they, you know, used to be final cut until you needed to, like, you know, Change the color of the car, and then you went into your Flame room at you know four times the rate, hourly rate. And you know if you can if you can do this, it's great because one, you you know you don't have the headaches of round tripping through everything. And two, you start training all your editors on Flame, which they can bill out four times as much for. Right, and you don't have to move rooms at the end. And you know, you, I mean, maybe you still have a Flame room or two, but. You know, probably not. You just, you know, you pick some sort of new price point in the middle. I mean, you know, pricing stuff is always sort of a hassle, but I mean, prices are going to get driven down anyways, whether you like it or not. I don't know. It seems like it seems like they're going to capture that market. You know, I think it's sort of a no brainer for those people to make the switch. Yeah, I don't see it moving into wedding videography and stuff like that. I mean, even at the new price point. Just because, I mean, from what I saw, it's not a
0: great editor.
1: Right. And it's, Um, yeah, it's, it's... You know, it does all the, like, bullet points. It's just, it's not fast to... I mean, what you really want from an editor is a timeline that doesn't get in your way. Right. Everything else is, you know... Hopefully, the assistant editor's problem, not yours.
0: Right, and it makes it makes a ton of sense if you're cutting a thirty second piece that's you know effects or you know yeah other types of you know post work heavy. It's great to have that all in one place and not be doing the constant round trip. Right, because then you swap out the shot, the product shot, all
1: fifteen times throughout the editorial process, and you don't have to redo all the effects unless you know your row changes. And you can you know most of these things now get delivered in... You know, a half a dozen to a couple hundred different outputs, you know, based on whether or not they're going to end up in YouTube or on the Super Bowl or on the, you know. So, you know, this way you can sort of tweak things. You don't, I mean, anytime you don't have to like bounce something down, you know, anytime you can keep everything as editable layers or what, you know, whatever you. Anytime you're not like collapsing creative decisions at right. a point where you can't go back and change them is great, you know and so if you can stay in on one app, perfect. yeah and so yeah, I think I think it's brilliant. I think it's going to work out really well for them. I don't think it's going to change the sort of editorial that, that we've done. I mean I think that's where is
0: going to win or avid, yeah. And, you know, I'm still, I still think that you will see Final Cut X usage tick up year over year as, you know, Apple continues to enhance it and as new editors enter the market who grew up using that sort of paradigm of editing.
1: Right. Well, and I mean, you know, there's not going to be that many more TV stations, like TV channels. And so there's not going to be. Unless we're going to pack more ads into every hour, there's not going to be that much more ad work, or you know, TV production, or movie. You know, so it's all going to be like YouTube stuff and you know, Kickstarter
0: movies and stuff like that. And those, you know, and a lot of yeah, corporate and internal and right. other sorts of things that are lower stakes. Right, and that's the sort of. I mean, that's
1: I think the market that X was really aimed at. Yeah, you know, because they knew that's the only place that's going to grow.
0: Yep,
1: and so they'll win that, or they'll fight over that with you know people who want to make their purchasing decisions based on more aspirational things. Mm -hmm. You know, they'll look at what their movies, you know, their favorite movies are cut in, and choose to go with Avid for no good reason. Um, but yeah, I mean, anytime the market's forced to change a lot like this, you know, everybody wins except for the people who have to learn new tools <laughs> but even they're better off afterwards yeah absolutely
0: uh, was there anything else from NAB that sort of got you uh, all fired up um, I don't know any big like That's... microwave transmitters or mm. no I don't
1: think so I mean there were people showing off some quad rotors I thought that was kind of fun yeah far. I was
0: going to bring that up because that, that, I was surprised that there were probably what more than a half dozen different companies showing off variations on either quad rotors or octo rotors or other things with cameras mounted.
1: Yeah. I mean, so it's like in the past there's been that whole chunk. And I mean even this year there's that whole chunk of people selling cranes and jibs. But this felt like a whole new I mean, this was like it was like that sort of feeling, except a whole new market.
0: Right. Because they're now getting enough lift capacity out of these that you can put a real camera on them. They're pretty stable and wireless video is good enough that they're pretty usable. Right, and controllable. No, yeah. um, which is really cool. I mean, I think it's a it's a really neat market, um, and GoPro as well. Since GoPro is a popular camera to throw on the lower end quad rotors, had a number of updates at the show. They've obviously become a, a huge player at NAB over the last two years, um, and they've they're you know both targeting the amateur sort of extreme dudes, but also with their updates at the show acknowledging that just about every reality TV show has a box full of GoPros, and so they're adding a um, flatter color space that you can use, a flatter gamma curve, and a 24p option, and a variety of other things that will make the cameras easier to use in a post-production workflow.
1: Yeah, so they had a couple other announcements. Um, I guess the other thing that was big this year was color.
0: This seems to be the
1: year that Everyone is going to become a colorist.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: In the same way, there was a year way back where everyone was going to become an editor. It feels like everyone now is going to have their pick of low cost. You know, like so. You know, one thing we didn't mention with CS6 is they've added SpeedGrade, um, which is one of their acquisitions, which is you know a really nice color correction tool. It sounds like if you like, if you walk into Blackmagic's booth or look at any of their products you get a free copy of resolve now yeah
0: <laughs> um speed grade or uh, not SpeedGrade, symphony has a bunch of new color tools yeah, Sim- so and things. it's like a, it's a thousand dollars now or something yeah, yeah if you as long as you can prove you you bought final cut at some point yeah, yeah. You, you know as long as you
1: as long as you can prove how. to them that you haven't been a diehard, avid user <laughs> all these years actually no you can even upgrade from dv
0: express yep. you see that yeah
1: so yeah so anything. Basically, they just they want to get everyone off of all their other products, which is smart, you know. They're going to eke a little bit of money out of all their users, but I think they want to sort of kill off the rest of their product line, flatten their market, which I think is good. Yes. Um Yeah, and then and so then GoPro has one now too. Right?
0: right? You were As looking at that. I didn't get a chance to go to their booth. As part of their Cineform acquisition, they've got a coloring, a color tool. I didn't really look at that tool very much. I've played with some of the Cineform apps and have been pretty underwhelmed, um, but you know, it's just more exciting that the camera itself is going to stop um, totally mucking with colors during record. Yeah, because they used to kind of float, right? right and they also just they they tended towards oversaturating things in the camera to give it a you know to make everything pop and throwing, mm-hmm. throwing away a lot of data um I, but the the camera it's not like a true you know log space or anything but uh no. you know it's at least something where you're a little less likely to have the camera tossing data yeah they just said we're not going to cl- clip quite as much stuff right so which is good yeah, I mean, it's it's good. Um, and they also showed off, they'd announced a lot of these products before that they were showing off their wireless transmitter for the GoPro, um, which is pretty cool. Wireless controller, I should say, so that you can remotely start and stop cameras, either from like a wristband or just remotely. And their screen add-on, um, which is nice as well. So, and, yeah, you know, again, it's... Uh, They've gone from a tiny little company to a fairly massive booth at NAB, and obviously they're really dominating that market. So, Yeah. Um. Yeah. I don't know. There wasn't too much else that... You know, North Hall this year, which is always... You know, North Hall's fluctuated a lot over the last few years because traditionally it was all audio stuff. And this year, it, the last few years it's been making this transition, this year it's really strictly sort of... Um, Production facility stuff and nerdy engineering stuff. So, you know the Tektronix and uh, and uh, Fur- and Harris and Ross and those kind of guys are all in North, and it was pretty mm-hmm. quiet over there.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a little surprised just because I mean I admit those boots have always been quiet, and they're not. You know they've never been exciting, and they've never really been the type of people who buy into like releasing stuff. Well, they've never. I mean, those companies have never released with fanfare, right. in general. But they've, you know, they've never tied them to trade shows either. Um, but I mean, you would you would think that if you know if anyone needs a trade show, it's those companies that are still doing all of their like all their sales through purchase orders and acquisition cycles and glad handing people. I mean, I guess they've got a big enough sales team that they can do that all year, but...
0: Well, and I imagine there is a lot of sort of um, conference room and other type of deals yeah. going on at yeah. the show that you just don't see, and that's part of why the booths are so quiet, is they're off in the side rooms actually making a deal to, you know, put raw switchers in every whatever MTV studio around the country. or Right, right. But... Uh, It's definitely, you know, interesting to see that how little focus there is on that. I mean, those companies all used to be upstairs in South Upper, and they've now moved over to North, sort of away from the real buzz of the show.
1: Yeah. I mean, you knew Ross wasn't going to get a lot of buzz this year when they didn't invite Sinbad. (laughs) What happened to that? That was great. I don't did they wait did, am i misremembering this did they invite him or did they just have a video of him like stopping by their booth
0: i don't remember i think they
1: invited him i just remember sinbad on a Ross switcher in like circa 2009. <laughs> this isn't like a dream right no no that, that
0: this isn't like happened. when i
1: played basketball against Shaq and bugs money
0: no that happened too oh sweet yeah they were uh, really
1: high at the time though yeah me too. Uh,
0: yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Anyhow, it's a good show, though. I mean, um, I heard record attendance. I haven't actually confirmed that. In um, yeah, the number I heard was one hundred and ten. Yeah. Thousand, which is a big show. Let's see NMB twenty twelve attendance. Let's see if there's actually a. Uh, uh, post slight gain in attendance let's see what did they say so i mean i guess we should talk about how the show went for us too huh uh, i guess we could um, um I, uh, 92 000 registered attendees were at the event
1: okay and plus plus exhibitors, exhibitors
0: and everything um which is just slightly more than 2011 but Exhibit space was up ten percent and we definitely saw that insofar as our booth was in a part of the hall that uh, previously it was, was this last year. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, it was a big show this year. And we got in mean, we definitely saw an uptick in traffic. We scanned a lot more badges than we have any other year. Um, now you could maybe attribute some of that to having a shipping product, but
0: but it was also... Still. And traffic was a lot more constant, um, I thought, than in past years where we it felt like we spent more time just sort of hanging out, waiting for people to stop by. This year, there were not too many extended stretches where there weren't, you know, at least one person coming by and often many people coming by. Yeah, um, I mean, there'll always be the hangover hours in the morning. Right, especially at the back of the hall. It just takes a while to get back to where we are. Um, but... I, I I thought it went really well, and it, you know it was exciting that um, a lot of people were coming to our booth, having heard about our products in sessions. Yeah, that was nice. Definitely, we should. Uh, I don't know what
1: else. It was a uh, it was a good show. It was nice. Um, you know, all the Thunderbolt stuff is really good for us. Yeah.
0: Well, it's always—I I would say—from a product development standpoint, it's always good for us as a small development team to spend a week just using our products and not writing code because it helps us see any pain points, it exposes any bugs if there are any, and you know, let's be honest, when we're developing ScopeBox, we rarely leave it running for twelve hours at a time, having people come right. up and poke at it randomly, and so it's right. a good stress test for us for an app like that.
1: Yeah, trenches have always been. They, they tend to expose bugs that, that aren't really, they're not even bugs you find in the wild. You know, because the kind of bugs they tend to find are like, you know, oh, the program crashes when you open a source, close it, open it, close it, open it, close it, add a preview, close the preview, then open the source again and close it, and then open it again, and then accidentally record uncompressed to an internal SSD, and then close the source. Right, You know, like things that only happen when you're demoing. But, you know, any crash is is a, is a crash and should be fixed. Right,
0: and, and bugs like that might expose underlying issues that can, you know, improve the program for everyone.
1: Right. So, you know, those are nice to have something that you can... But, I mean, even, like, I don't... We only found, like, one of those this
0: year. Right, I mean... The, which the... is
1: a huge improvement
0: over the past shows. Oh, yeah, I mean, the the, you know... I felt really good about both products. I mean, ClipRap obviously, you know, gets beaten on by a lot of users, so I wasn't too surprised that that was pretty flawless. But ScopeBox, since it is, you know, relatively new, ScopeBox three, it was great to see how well it performed across, you know, four different machines with four different input devices and lots of users touching it and poking at it and uh, running all day, and it, it worked great. You know? Yeah. And we should give a shout out to. I'm.
1: Um, I guess one thing. Yeah, we should. IOXT nice device. Yeah. We got one of those for the show. So basically, you know, have, we had never played with one, never seen one. Um Saturday, I went over to Black Magic's booth and picked AJ, one up.
0: AJA's booth.
1: Sorry, AJA's booth. Picked one up. Um uh, that we had, you know, we pre-arranged as a loaner. And uh it's a nice little box. Yeah. It's absolutely. smaller than I thought. Yeah. For some reason I expected it to be like
0: it's like encyclopedia
1: uh, sized, but it's like
0: hardcover romance novel size, Right. It's one rack unit high by half a rack unit wide. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, it it, it performed great. Um, you know, check your driver versions if you've got one. Um, but uh, it was nice to play with. And we've got it now for the rest of the month, so. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, pretty much, every, you know, all the hardware worked great. Um It'll be It's a good time to be
1: uh, setting up a set of software scopes. Yeah. Yep. There's lots of nice options right now for getting signaling.
0: Yeah. Um if you haven't already, I think these came out probably right after our last podcast, but we've got some blog posts up on picking hardware. Um I'll go back and revise oh, those yeah. based yeah, on Yeah, you wrote both of those. Those are nice. I'll go back and revise those based on some of the things that this show because there are some even lower cost options available now as well. Um but yeah, it's uh, it's a good time. You know, even if you're, even if you don't own a single piece of video gear or a computer, uh, you can go out and get a pretty awesome monitoring, scoping, and capture station for a thousand dollars or less now. Uh, yeah, including hardware and software, which is uh, pretty cool. Yeah. So that was
1: yeah. It's getting to be it's getting to be um, pretty painless. There's no point in not checking your signal anymore. Right.
0: So chatter, you got anything you want to chatter about this week?
1: Um, Yeah, I pulled an article. It's it's a little old, but um, I was reminded of it because of all of the quad rotors and octo rotors and such at the show. Um, I was back in, we did a SF, Final Cut Pro users group, the one attached to uh, MacWorld, mm-hmm. um, and at the show we met a guy who was getting into quad, you know those quad rotor platforms, and he was you know he he was you know we had a conversation with him about the sort of the future of it, and he was saying like yeah, so you know everyone's looking for a market for them, and one of the things I found is um, using them to do like cheap, quick, no setup time, crane type shots of um, houses that go up on the market, like the really high end Beverly Hills houses. When you know it's so it looks like you've got a helicopter shot of your you know mansion you're selling for two point you know twenty two million dollars or whatever in the hills. Um, and so there's a article from la times about how the lapd is cracking down on drone aircraft in real estate (laughs) which i thought was kind of fun
0: yeah um so i don't really understand where the distinction is between a a drone and a toy um i
1: believe it is whether or not you can see it so the way that it works right now is the faa allows you to have a remote control airplane which you can use if you can... But you have to maintain line of sight with it the whole time you're controlling it. Um, And you're also not supposed to use them in um, urban settings. So you're only supposed to use them, like, somewhere you can crash it in the ground. Sure. Um, All of that, I don't know how formalized... I mean, I don't know if you can go to jail for not doing that. Yeah. but that's sort of their wording from what I've seen. Interesting. So, yeah. So, the thing that really gets you in trouble with drones is if, well, one, if it's not being controlled by a person, and two, if it's not being, um, if it's not line of sight. Hmm. Well. Wow. Which obviously isn't as important when you've got a video camera on the thing. Right. But. Right. Huh.
0: Well, I just want guns. Um,. My chatter this week, I have two. One, just very briefly, um, in case anyone did happen to see this, because I saw it linked a bunch on Twitter, on Visually, a brief history of digital video that was apparently produced by real networks. um, Oh, yeah. And much like most things produced by real networks, uh, not the best product in the world. Um, So if you saw this, Please forget that you saw it, and if you haven't seen this, don't bother looking at it, because it will just make you dumber. Oh, Um, come on. So, that needs some explanation. It's just... Are you gonna... It's a timeline of the history of digital video, but it is completely random and in many ways very inaccurate and um, just meaningless. I mean, look at it. It, It's so random.
1: What... So you're saying the things they call out are random?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Offense, and, and the way or... they describe them and and some of just the details of them. Hmm. I suppose. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Fair enough. I was Yeah. And it's sort of like half technical and half completely non-technical and I don't know, and the timing's just weird. Yeah.
1: Okay. So, are we gonna are we gonna put out a competitive one? We
0: probably should, but it would be seven hundred pages long and. <laughs> Yeah, I suppose. Um the other thing I wanted to throw out was the Verge had a nice piece on a couple different projects focused broadly on digital art preservation.
1: Wait, wait, wait. Wait. Before we do that, I got to point out the fact that they have somehow tied the evolution of video formats into the evolution of Michael Jackson. Right. Like I I don't know, are they trying to say that I don't there's a lot of baggage with that.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: I didn't even, I mean. Are, are whiter codecs better? <laughs> and was there sort of a, a, a sort of sappy, not very good
0: section in the middle there? I, I, this is weird. And then what codecs just stopped being developed in 2010?
1: Well, this only goes to 2001.
0: Well, except it doesn't though, because it's got like MKV, which wasn't around in 2001. MK, what are you seeing? Oh yeah. And yeah. So it's just random. Anyways, so The Verge um, has a thing about digital art preservation, very broadly, but covering a couple projects. One aimed at preserving things like ASCII art in info files and other things, and one aimed at preserving digital art projects that exist online but may not exist online forever. Sort of, you know, a website that's built as an art project, for example, or or other things that are. <laughs> Um, you know, released digitally and may be somewhat um, temporary and ephemeral. Um, And the idea is that these are being sort of captured and cataloged and then preserved as torrents or in other ways. And obviously there are copyright issues with that. Um, There are issues of artist's intent with that. You know, if things are intended to be temporary, what are you doing by preserving it? Etc. But it was a, it was you know like most things The Verge does uh, in depth and nicely reconstructed piece and uh, worth worth a look um, and then you can dig into some of these actual products p- projects if you want to learn a bit more about what they're doing. Yeah. Cool. All right. So yeah. um, we'll see you all in Amsterdam in September. Yeah. In Tokyo in November. Mm, probably not that one. Mm.
1: And you should start if if you <laughs> if if we go to Inter B and you want to come, you better be fluent in Japanese by then. Yeah. So start now. Uh. Are, are you trying to think of domo arigatou
0: Well, all <laughs> is, the problem is I know a little bit of Chinese, and that's all I could come up with.
1: No. My problem is I can only say Japanese phrases in a young girl's voice. (laughs) (laughs) I bet you that's a problem for a
0: lot of people. Uh, I don't think that's such a problem in Japan, though. That's just a thing. True. Uh. (laughs) Just picturing us showing up for
1: inner B dressed as Japanese, like manja girls.
0: (laughs) Hello, consumer.
1: Hey, don't go. Sorry good uh, ping pong on us I
0: uh, sushi
1: okay anyways we should go before this goes somewhere we don't want it to um, we'll
0: see y'all real soon now
1: yeah I'll talk to you next week unless I'm uh, sequestered oh yeah okay bye bye